The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad we have the opportunity to talk about the life of Abraham. And uh, today we're going to be looking at one of the last major events in his life. And that is the ultimate test of whether or not he would offer his son Isaac, the son of promise, as a sacrifice to God. Now, let me say at the outset that this is an important scenario for all of us as devotees of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very often, people make the error of not distinguishing when the Bible presents information as descriptive versus prescriptive. Descriptive, prescriptive. This is a circumstance that is clearly descriptive, but it also has lessons for us that we could interpret as prescriptive. And we're going to consider one or two of those uh, great learning moments for all of us. Uh, And bear in mind that we may need one or two conversations to adequately measure what the Spirit of God may be calling us to do in terms of our relationship with the Lord. So here we have uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And uh, we are told that it came to pass that God tried Abraham. He now will put him to the test. And he said, Abraham, and of course Abraham responded. And the command was, take Now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and uh, there offer him up for burnt offering. Now, this to many seems to be not only bizarre, but alarming in terms of assimilating this information with what we understand about the nature of God. And I certainly have heard of those who have struggled with this specific narrative for obvious reasons. Why would God ask a man to sacrifice his own son? And this son is the promised heir, the one through whom the entire earth would be blessed. In essence, it doesn't make sense. Nonetheless, Abraham set out on his journey, which was about three days' journey to Mount Moriah. And uh, there he would follow through without hesitation, we will find. Now, at this point, we know that Isaac certainly is at least 14 years old, uh, but certainly it is believed that he could have well been in his uh, early 20s. Nonetheless, we're not given all the details at this particular juncture, But we know that his son was certainly mature enough 
to bear the burden of carrying the wood. And at one point in their journey, Isaac, of course, speaks to his father, and he says, well, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Now, this is vitally important because we come to the first uh, major hurdle in this man's response of obedience. And he said, my son, God will provide himself with a lamb for the burnt offering. So he was confident of one thing, that the provision, the providing of the animal would be God's. But we will also learn between this statement and the actual taking of the knife to slay his son, we'll learn a little bit about what was really going through Abraham's mind. And this is where the prescriptive nature of the Bible uh, is going to come home to us. So here Abraham gets to the place, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with the narrative, but Abraham took the knife and was about to plunge that knife into his son. And there Jehovah uh, calls out to him and tells him not to stretch his hand against the lad nor do anything to him. And what Jehovah said to Abraham was, Now I know that you fear God, and you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the test really was, will Abraham withhold anything from God? That is the ultimate test. And embedded in that question is the same question posed to you and me. Is there something I would withhold from God? Now, Abraham, because of the significance of the moment, uh, saw with his own eyes that Jehovah provided an animal for the sacrifice. He looked up, and behold, a ram was caught in a thicket by its horns. So Jehovah did provide. And to, if you will, memorialize the event and the place, uh, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Yireh, meaning Jehovah will provide. And he was trusting God to provide the lamb for the sacrifice. He believed God and the promises that were made to him uh, many years before concerning uh, this promised seed. If you recall, in an earlier conversation, we were looking at Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 5, which was that moment when Jehovah revealed himself to Abraham after the successful rescue of Lot. And he presented himself, that is, Jehovah presented himself to Abraham as his shield and his great reward, his passage money, if you will. <laughs> and I, I love that, that word picture. But in that encounter, Jehovah took him outside and caused him to look into the heavens and said, so shall your seed be. And we are told in Romans chapter 4 
that Abraham's view of God was twofold. He believed in this God who was able to make the dead live again. And also, this God calls the very things that do not exist into being. So he is the God that makes the dead come alive. And he's also the God that makes those things not being, commanding them to come into being as he did during the creation of the world. And so this view of God is what fueled Abraham's faith. And we are told in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteousness. It wasn't something that Abraham did. It was what he believed on God. That faith in those facts about his view of God was put to his account as righteousness. God recognized this as righteousness. This man is a righteous man. He has ascribed it to God what is true. And not only has he ascribed it to God, but he believed it wholly in his life and in his heart. He held on to that notion, that belief, that view inwardly in his spirit that for me to have a child at the age where I am, which is 13 years before Isaac was born, God had to make my body come alive again because I'm well past the age of, having a, uh, of, of being able to spurn an offspring. And Sarah definitely was past the age where her body would be able to sustain uh, the ovulation process as well as sustain the, the growth and development of a child. She was an old woman. So God would have to work the impossible and he would have to command it from heaven. And of course, we know that 13 years later, Isaac was born. So now we come to the ultimate test. Now that this son has been born, he has had time to enjoy him, to build a relationship with him. And when all was well at home, God steps in again. Now, this becomes uh, a monumental test, if you will, because it will become a challenge to myself and to you to consider is God worth trusting? Can God be trusted? Is he capricious? Or does he deal with men based on his loving kindness and tender mercies out of a heart of a compassion? And so, when he did not withhold Isaac, Jehovah said to him, I swear by myself. Now, this is important. There is no greater than God. There is no supreme deity 
apart from the triune God. Therefore, when we inadvertently swear, we are swearing by one that is greater than us. That's what men do. Now, God has none greater than himself. So he swears by himself. And this is indicative of the fact that what he has promised to do in Abraham's life is going to be accomplished. There will be no failure to this. So we see when we look back that God remained true to what he had revealed about Abraham, that he really wants to bless this man. But it's going to necessitate that Abraham be brought to a place where he is willing to trust God implicitly, without hesitation, and embrace the promises to such an extent that he becomes unwavering in his obedience. And so Jehovah says to him, because he could swear by no greater, because you've done this and you have not withheld thy son, he said, I will richly bless you. I will greatly not only just multiply, but I will greatly multiply your seeds. And then he adds more descriptive words. Okay? We learned in Genesis 15, he says, as the stars of the heaven. But now he adds an additional layer, as the sand that is on the seashore. Now, almost everyone in my hearing, at some point in their lives, have gone to the shore. And although the stars in the heavens are numerous, there is nothing compared to the grains of sand on a seashore. They are innumerable. And God has sworn to this man and has given to us in the narrative of his word that he is going to bring this to pass. Now, some of you may be saying, well, you know, I haven't seen it yet and we could, you know, Mankind has only been around for X number of thousands of years and so forth and so on. But if God makes a promise, he's able also to perform it. And then he goes on to say, again, a further reiteration, that not only will his seed possess the gates of his enemies, but the nations of the earth will bless themselves in this promised seed. And all of this because this man obeyed the voice of God. Now, before we extract for ourselves the critical lessons in the life of the devotee of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves, am I in the right place to receive this message, this call of the Spirit of God on my life. If you recall, I said earlier as we were talking that the Bible is both descriptive and prescriptive. And in this narrative, none of us are called to sacrifice our children. There is no command in the scriptures that we should perform such an act. We do know that Abraham becomes an example to us for a specific reasons or several specific reasons. But perhaps one of the most obvious is this. 
What treasure do I have or you that is so sacred to me that I couldn't part with it for love of Christ? What do I have? What, what does my heart cling to that is of such great value that I would hesitate to lay it down so that God can have a greater avenue into my heart, life, and thinking. I think if we step back, we all have a common commodity that is of critical value. Now, I, I want you to think for a moment because you're probably saying, well, I, you know, I, I have a home maybe or I have, uh, I don't know, an automobile or uh, some of you may be listening and said, well, I, I have children, but I certainly am not clinging to them. I know that they're, I'm raising them and they will grow up and leave home and, and, and so forth. So we may, we may struggle a bit to conjure in our minds what do I have that is so important that I wouldn't want to part with it. And in in the book of Matthew, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, addresses this when he uh, told his disciples, for example, that a time was coming when he would have to lay his life down. And of course, this, this was a hard saying. Uh, but the Lord Jesus dealt with the matter. And he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I'm sure you've heard a lot of explanations about, well, what does that mean? Well, to be very frank, that's not my point. My point is really the next statement that he says, follows. And that is, whosoever shall desire to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. So now we're faced with a decision. If I attempt to grasp, to exercise myself in what can be a futile attempt to make my life enriched. But all of this is predicated on my effort, on my intelligence, on my skill, or whatever uh, intangible resources I leverage to be able to make my life substantial, worthy, full, Jesus says, you'll lose it. You'll never attain it. If you desire to preserve that life and enrich that life, you will never attain to that objective. But then he gives the converse statement. If you lose that life for my sake you'll find it. You'll find it. And it's interesting that he uses the word find because God knows what you're looking for. 
He knows what I'm looking for. But what I'm looking for cannot be obtained by my self-efforts. It is something that has to be given by God. It becomes like, we become like children, wanting more, but we're grasping something so tightly in our hands, and the only way to get more is to release what is in our hands. And with open palm, we can reach forth and get the thing that God wants to apprehend us for. The interesting thing about the challenge, the the appeal of the Lord Jesus, is that God wants what I want, but we disagree on how it's going to be obtained. And God, by virtue of his wisdom, is in a better position to say, you'll never get it the way you're doing. You'll never get it by the means that you're exercising. You have to lose it. You've got to lose it. So here's the challenge. We have a life, a soul, a personality endued by God with abilities and gifts and unknown strengths, if you will. And we are striving to enrich that life, to grow, to become more than what we are. But that can never be attained by me investing more time, energy, losing sleep, reading more, getting more education. It'll never be attained. And we have, in the biblical narrative, examples of such a life. I'll give you one that comes to mind. Uh, The disciples in Matthew chapter 14 was... Uh, if you will, caught in a storm. And uh, as such, uh, of course, they were in peril, we are told. So obviously there's not much they could do. And in the midst of that storm, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. What was noteworthy was the fact, of course, that they were afraid, but Peter having some uh, clarity of mind in the midst of a storm, which I think is amazing, says to the Lord Jesus, after he heard the words of the Lord Jesus, not to be afraid that it is he, it is the Lord whom they knew, he said, if it is you, bid me come. And the Lord Jesus said, come. And he stepped out of the boat, walking on the water to go to Jesus. Now, We know how that circumstance ends. He was distracted by the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. But what was important about this miracle being uh, uh, executed, for lack of a better word, was the fact that as long as he's looking to the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is also looking to him to make the impossible possible, to make water firm enough to sustain a man. It was a miracle, but the essence of the miracle was that as long as Peter is looking to the Lord Jesus to do in him and with him what obviously would have been impossible, it was going to be accomplished. And just as Abraham was given this challenge to sacrifice his son, 
we are exhorted by the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew to do the same, which is to lay our lives down, to cease from our self-efforts, and to turn our attention, our faith, our expectation, and place it solely on the one who walked on water over 2,000 years ago and bid a man to do the same. And we have it recorded in the biblical annals that two men walked on water. And now you and I are faced with the challenge in the 21st century. How do I make my life enriched, purposeful, impactful for the kingdom of God? How do I deepen my relationship with God? And I, I, I think the, the answer uh, is rather simple. Uh, we see the answer just about every day, unknown to us. Before the Lord Jesus was crucified, he said to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine. Thus neither can you unless you abide in me. So this term, abide in me, is really, in essence, remain in me. You see, we see plants growing every day, and we see the branches attached to the main body of the plant or tree. And the only thing that that branch is doing is simply staying where it is attached. And all the channels are open for the life of the tree to flow into that branch and produce what only the life of the tree can produce. And we are called in our relationship with God, in our walk as devotees of the Lord Jesus Christ, to do just that. Where we have been placed, in the body of Christ, we simply by faith remain and receive of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as he works in us to accomplish his purposes. Now, that might just sound a bit confusing, like I don't have to do anything. No. We only have to do what Peter did when he walked on water. His eyes were fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ his expectation was centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because he could see that if he's walking on water and he told me to come, then he will make it possible for me to walk on water. And if the Lord Jesus says, remain in me, that means I am already in him. And he says, he in us. Christ lives in me. Paul, in writing to the Galatian church, alluded to this when he says, I have been, and I still am, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And therefore, the call of the Christian is to simply remain where he or she has been placed with a firm expectation that God would bring to pass in my personal life the very Evidence that Christ lives in me. Oh, my dear friend, take some time to ponder that like Abraham, God has called us, every one of us, to lay down our lives, to 
to cease from our efforts and striving to bring purpose and meaning. And while we are quieting our hearts beside still waters, we may hear the still quiet voice of the Spirit of God. Abide in me, and I in you. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.